Welcome to Muslims Doing Things, a podcast about extraordinary Muslims and their career journeys. Today we have Adi Attar, who's a guest I'm especially excited about because I think he's known me since I was born. Is that right? I think so. I think so. <laughs> you were the little baby of the bunch in our, yeah. uh, in, in our family. And it was, uh, it's great to see you, first of all, grow into the woman that you've grown into. And I'm just so proud of you. Obviously, the kids are coming home too, so you're going to be good. So you're going to get some cameos that are natural while we do this interview. Um, but, uh, you know, and and this Layla's here and here's here's my little Layla. <laughs> I wanted to come see the other Layla. Say assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. All right. So, but yeah, I've, I've, we've known each other for, I think you've, I'm probably, I think, what, six years older than you? Seven years older than you? Sounds about right. Yeah, You're so about my brother's age. Our age when you were born. Yeah, that sounds about, this is like fully the circle, you know, of life. We're not at the end, obviously. Hopefully we're somewhere on the, you know, front side of it. But to see you with your daughter, like I had a lot of older brothers in our very kind of deep Iraq, Iraqi community, and you were one of them. And it's something that you and I talk about often. And I think many people from this community talk about often. We were very lucky to have each other. And I'm sure it'll come up throughout this episode because it was formative in my life and in my upbringing to have a community that ran so deep that, I mean, we're like maybe many decades in at this point. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I think for us too, growing up as a diaspora, the Iraqi American, Muslim American diaspora, we went through a lot in our childhood with, you know, the first Iraq war, the Gulf war, if you will. And then obviously what happened 9-11 and then what happened with the second Iraq war. So I feel like the strength of our community really helped us all get through a lot of really tough times. And, and as we are, we were struggling between both of our identities and, and, you know, at the end of the day, just wanting peace and particularly thinking of our loved ones and our friends and family that were still stuck in that war, both over there and friends that we knew here that were involved in one way, which is, which is the dynamic that is, I think, unique to, the diaspora community. And if we didn't have such a strong nucleus of friends and family within the same age range, I think it would have been much harder, you know, yeah. I think that if you look at our community and what everybody achieved, you know, not everybody had a silver spoon. And I mean, there was ranges in terms of the economic and the socioeconomic diversity of our group. And, uh, you know, some of the, I, I went through welfare and growing up struggles, losing family members here in America, but then there's the affluent community. But together, I think we all inspired each other to be better, to push through those hard times, to get involved in our community, not only the diaspora community, but, but our, but our uh, you know, with our American friends and colleagues, et cetera. So I, I, I told you in our last conversation, I, I feel so blessed. And when, when I still, we have a group chat with your brothers are involved and, you know, a lot of our, 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 our family friends that we grew up with. And I just, I'm amazed to see the type of men and, and great human beings that have grown, we've all grown into, you know what I mean? And what everybody's doing professionally, personally, and alhamdulillah, you know what I mean? I, I'm super proud, super yeah. proud. No, I would agree. I would agree. So that's all to say, guys, this is pretty much one of my bigger brothers. Um, he's part of the community, grew up with him, but let's tell people who aren't me, what do you do? Uh, I am the founder and CEO of Paradigm Sports Management. We are a multi-sport management company focusing on high-growth sports like MMA, like soccer, um, and and then we also have a media and content business in and around the athletes and the ecosystem, and a business venture platform 
where we've incubated and launched business ventures in several different sectors with our athletes. And now we've started to launch businesses and products and services, you know, that, that makes sense that are accretive within our uh, ecosystem we've built. So it's a platform and, and I'm just, I guess in short, I'm just a crazy entrepreneur. <laughs> and you manage some pretty famous people, right? Give us a few examples of some folks you manage. Yeah, listen, I've been very fortunate to work with some of the some top athletes in the in the different businesses I've I've worked with and uh, very fortunate enough to work with Conor McGregor, fortunate enough to work with Michael Bisbing, along with several other names and big talents that I've been fortunate enough to work with. It's going on over two decades now in my career. And I started as an NFL agent and then when I went back to business school really started to broaden my my horizons, if you will, and, and, and biting the entrepreneurial bug. So that expanded into what it is today. Uh, yeah. And where did it start before that? Let's go to baby Audi. Tell me, baby tell me Audi. about where, where did it all start? Uh, you know, I was just thinking of inside jokes that I know that, you know, all of you guys would say is like, I think it started at Raging Waters. <laughs> 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 that season passed every summer every, every summer every summer every summer we lived there you know i got kicked out of there when i, I kicked off a slide when i was 11 because i was wearing a shirt so i literally was just talking about it on my tiktok total side note because i was like really happy about this burkini and i was like i got kicked off a slide at 11 at raging waters and it's like oh, a <laughs> see that's the thing kids don't understand we were dealing with some of these issues way back when you I'm know telling you, it's yeah. core memory i'm a grown woman still talking about this one yeah. slide nevertheless so carry on funny. it started at raging oh waters so so you know i i grew up as a as a you know very active young man right i was involved in all types of sports and you know i was very you know um just in love with sports, anything that has to do with sports. And anytime we'd have any family functions, as you know, like the boys were always were playing basketball, we're playing soccer, we're playing football, tackle football, no pads. And we were just, you know, so active. And man, luckily my parents just saw that. And even though they were, they, they, they weren't, you know, they, even though they were assimilated to some extent, they, they didn't understand the system, right? So they never grew up playing little league baseball. They never grew up playing pop Warner. They never understood the significance and the strengths of those extracurricular activities for young kids, right? I think, and probably a combination of how hyper I was and active I was with how much I probably annoyed them and begged them to let me play <laughs> certain sports. I somehow broke them down and, and they didn't have a lot of money. And so it's like, you know, at the end of the day, but all they focused on was really their, their family, the community and, and, and the work, my, my, our family business. And so, you know, Baseball, I think, was the first organized sport they put me in, but then it was soccer, and then it was martial arts, and then it was gymnastics, and then it was like, they just, I think, realized that they were trying, looking back, they were trying to tire me out, probably, by the time <laughs> I got home, and, and but they're so supportive, right? Anything I wanted to try, they're all about, you know, even the arts, they put, it, put us in art, and they put us in music, and, you know, to me, that, I look back, and I'm like, man, that was amazing, because, they didn't understand it. And it really, it really took them, you know, seeing, seeing the best in something, even if it was foreign to them and seeing that it was good for their kids. And that's right. ultimately what made them happy. And so it started there and it grew and it grew and I, and I became competitive in the sports. And, and again, my parents were continuing to support that. And luckily when I was in high school, I was, you know, I was good enough in, in American football. I was a high school American. And I started getting recruited by Division One colleges, and I was fortunate enough to go and go on. And I played 
Uh, my college ball at UCLA, I played one season at Idaho State. Um, and so I was able to, to fulfill a dream of mine to achieve certain goals as a, as a young athlete and then even go on and play Division One level, which is also a dream. And, you know, obviously, I ha ultimately, I wanted to play pro and that didn't necessarily materialize. But I think that, you know, in hindsight, now I look back and the next best thing did, which is for me to be able to stay in sport and and develop professionally and, and then continue to hopefully achieve not only my dreams, but dreams of those that I get to work with, which is fulfilling for me. And it's, and it's you know, part of my professional purpose. So that's, I guess, the summary, but I know this is a long form podcast. So I, I imagine you may have some follow up questions to that, but that's, that's where it started. And so when you were in college and you're playing football, and you're probably just like, I want to be in the NFL, right? Like, was that your only goal? Or were, how, how as an athlete were you able to kind of balance? And like you said, there was no precedent. Our parents didn't know what the heck sport would do for us. There's a reason why the doctor, lawyer, engineer thing is a trope. It's because it's like, hey, that's pretty, pretty like definite way to create an income in the right. future is just follow these things. They didn't think if they put a football in your hand, you'd be able to build a huge business out of it, right? Yeah. So, so how did you think about that? What guidance did you have? Tell us about that journey in college. So it's an interesting one because I think there's a lot of stuff, you know, that happens and to your point, it's like your parents are trying to condition you to do certain things and then you're going on your path. And sometimes there's even like not only a, a clash in, in, in philosophies and in even ambition or even the outlook as to what parents want for you or what you want for yourself. And I think traditionally in our culture, it's like you listen to your parents and whatever they say, you do it. Right. And, and I think that again, going back, thinking back, you know, it's either there was a war of attrition that I went out or my parents at least engaged to a point and then supported me and tried to guide me as best as possible. Because I was very in college, I was very much focused on football. And I also was still, to some extent, you know, developing my own intellectual curiosity, right? Uh, I come from a, a, a family that's educated that, you know, even when my dad came, came, you know, in his old age, he was constantly just trying to educate himself and upgrade the software. So it was like ingrained in me at a young age. And I, I would say I was, I took to it later than I, than I wish I had. Right. Um, because I dealt with some trauma losing my brother at a, at, in my teenage years. And, and then, you know, the wars that we were going through and a lot of family being back there. And, and so I think there was a lot of trauma that I never dealt with. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and it's funny because as an adult, I've recognized more of that than I ever did. And mm -hmm. so, I think that in college, I was a one-track mind guy. It was football. That was it. I was going to go to the NFL. I, mm -hmm. That was all I wanted to do. And so, unfortunately, that created uh, deficiencies academically, and I didn't necessarily deal with it the right way. And even my own trauma caught up to me to some extent because my anger sometimes turns into rage. Mm -hmm. and in an environment where, you know, my, I have my brother tattooed on me in Arabic, you're dealing with all the cultural changes as a, you know, as, as, as an Iraqi Muslim American, and you haven't dealt with your own trauma, your, your anger turns into rage like this. And so I actually got in trouble for a fight because of that. Mm -hmm. because I remember this. You got kicked off the situation. team. I did. And that's why mm -hmm. I played that one season at UCLA. It was because, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if you don't, if you don't understand your own emotion and you can't regulate that energy, your emotions get the best of you. Even if you're in the right, it doesn't matter. The reaction is usually what sucks you in. And there's a great saying, even in football, it's like, it's not the person that makes the first offense. It's the person who retaliates that gets the flag. 
Mm-hmm. And in and in every sport, actually, there's a similar saying to that. This is that's an American football saying, but there is yellow card, red card, and in, in, in soccer and so on in all sports. But it's so true in life as well. It's like you could be someone sat there and, and called me all the all the racist names you could think of over the time that were clever. You know, s the Sam N word and terrorists and you know this and that. It's like it. You know, you should be able to just laugh at it, laugh it off, and walk away. You should not allow that to get to you because the reality of it is they're wrong. But when you react, you're the one that brings that attention on yourself, and it kind of it does it like it it almost swallows what really happened and just makes you look like the bad guy, right? Yeah. And so, ultimately, it was one of those things that I had to experience, and it was you know very difficult. It, I got kicked off the team. I had the choice to stay in there and stay on scholarship, but I wanted to play. So I had to go transfer to another school. And then at the end of that season, that old coach at UCLA was fired and my whole team stuck up for me, which really resonated with me. That was like, okay, my brothers came to my rescue when I needed community. them. Community. That's yeah, which is, the which community. Is it's always community. So it's a beautiful thing, man. And like I could tell you, I could just thinking back to some of, you know, back then even during 9-11 when all of this media attention came on me for the wrong reasons it was like my teammates i remember interviews where they would step up that's our habibi and that's our this and so i could see like even to some extent sport was always that uh, you know that bridge that bridge between you know interfaith dialogue humanity cultures and in the locker room it was a mix of a melting pot right but i was the only iraqi arab american muslim american in the locker room. And so, you know, and, and it quite an interesting time, but that unity is what to me spoke to me deeper than anything. And that was at that point in time where, yes, I wanted to go to the NFL, but I really started to really expand my horizon of what sports means to me. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That was, I mean, I, like I said, you were like a brother to me. I've known you my whole life and tracked this my whole life. And it was just like, really a time I think that all of us were dealing with the fallout of 9-11 and for you to effectively get attacked because you had a tattoo and no less a tattoo of your late brother's name, Ali Rahman. everybody should read Fatah for him. He was incredible. It's just like, it was so hard for everybody to stomach. It seems like you turn it into a growth opportunity for you to learn and grow, which is great. And also, I mean, you have kids, right? Once you have kids, you're like, oh, hold on a second. I see maybe patterns or things my kids are going through and you start looking bigger picture and you're like, shoot, this might be anger. This might be rage. Like this is a trauma. Like do I have that? Yeah. <laughs> For me, like, oh, this yeah. might be, do I have yeah. that? And then you realize like, oh crap. Like, first of all, trauma, and the more I learned about, learned about trauma, not only my own trauma, just in general, like, you know, there's science that shows that it's somehow genetic now. Right. And so it's like, I want to break the cycle of, right. any of the bad, right. bad of my bad trauma. I, I don't want to pass that to them. Like, I right. want them to be much, much healthier and you can't shelter them from everything. It's, kind of like you know that trauma too also created grit and to your point allowed me to then turn it around and use it to my advantage but there's like a law of diminishing return if you don't deal with it enough right whereas like you're kind of like dipping your toe and using it when you need but what you don't realize is the parts that you're not using could actually be working against you in different ways and so it's been you know especially in the last year and you know credit to my wife too who's always just like my been my biggest fan and she's you know, stood by my side despite all my deficiencies. And that to me is, alhamdulillah, like it, that's my blessing. And, 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 and I, I'm, I'm super proud of that. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the unique life that I've, I've lived. It's, 
I just told you the same as well, but it's like I've lived between a rock and a hard place. You know, it's like who I am is who I am, right? And I've always been honest and proud of who I am, my identity. And although it's a it's a it's it's a unique one, and it's it is not your just average average dynamic. You know. You know, um, we won't spend too much time on this, but I have to tell you that Alhamma, your brother Leith, like he taught me about community better than anybody else. Because Alhamma, when he passed away. I will never forget the way that everybody was at your house. And it was just what we did. After school, we'd go to, you know, we'd go to, to read Quran for Leith at Susu and Adi's house. And there would literally be dozens of people there every day. And a few months after, my brother got into a car accident and was in critical condition. And the exact same people just migrated homes, including your mom, and showed up at my house every day. And I was really young, but I will never forget. And by the way, now that is the type of community I'm trying to build for my own kids. And I'm constantly thinking like, how do I make sure they're as immersed as I was? Because when things really hit the fan, everybody was there. They dropped everything and they were there. And you saw it twice in a row and kind of dealt with this grief together to try to alleviate a little bit of the pain or help your family out. And it's really something that has stuck with me forever. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I got chills just thinking of that. And you're so right, because I rem and I remember that vividly, you know, and um, and it was like back to back, back to back traumas within our community. And and your brother was one of my best friends still to this day. He's now he's also one of my lawyers now, you know. So he's he's uh he, you know he was him and I were so close then. And when that happened, it was just like boom, boom, one thing mm -hmm. after another. And and um, and we almost lost your brother. Mm -hmm. Those that are watching, they said he never. Really understood. Like it was. Like we that. thought he was parallel. He, mm -hmm. First of all, we were scared for his life. Then once we was to some extent stable, we we thought he could never walk. Mm -hmm. He was fully paralyzed, and so yeah, it was it was quite the experience. And, and you're right, that was the one thing that sticks. And to this day, that same community has always just been very supportive and very 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 consistent. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I think that that was what I'm saying to how lucky we were to have that. Right? Mm -hmm. It was it was. It was very, very, very special, very special community. And very, very, we're very, very lucky, alhamdulillah, for sure. Uh, absolutely. And I can't wait to recreate it for our own kids, inshallah. And like, mm -hmm. so you're in college, you go through this trauma, um, you graduate. You said you became an NFL agent. Like, were you, how did that happen? And do you have to play the game to become an agent? Kind of just, you know, no, new question. You don't, you don't, no, you don't, have to, you don't have to play mm -hmm. any game to be an agent in any respective sport. Um, but after I was, you know, towards the end of my career, I actually was going to, try to go play at the next level and do I had a pro day. Fortunately had a little injury, but then I, I, I was either going to go pursue and, and play the game, you know, try to go play and go play in Canada or take a, take a job with a sports agency. And, and at the time I was a really difficult decision. Like I wanted to play mm. NFL, obviously an injury and it was going to pro prohibit me from actually getting to go and try out and, and go to camp because of my pro day. The hamstring is what I pulled on my pro day, which is like when they time you for everything, right? So I didn't perform well, and and, I, and the only other way I was going to be able to play is go play in Canada for two years, um, or take a job with a sports agency, and and you know, and and there was no guarantee. For example, like I was going to make it. You don't know. You go up there, you get hurt, you you you, you get cut. There's no assurances, right? Right. But the athlete in me didn't care. I want to go compete and you, right. this is your window and you just go try and that's it. What will happen will happen. Your fate will be your fate based on whatever the, the, the performance looks like. But my dad was so adamant about, and this is pre, 
you know, concussion, traumatic brain injury, you know, CTE. Yeah, before it all became awareness. kind of controversial. Right. Before any of that awareness where the game was very much, you know, I would say that the, the final years of, 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 of where that it didn't matter. You, you weren't going to pull yourself out. You got a concussion? Too bad. Get back in. You know, it's, it was that type of culture. And my dad, I think, you know, oh, he's so, he was so wisely, look, I know you love it. I know you love this game, but you got to preserve your brain. And he'd always tell you, you got to preserve your brain. You, and and he would joke around and, and say, like, you, you got to start feeding that. It's not, that's the biggest muscle you're not feeding enough, you know? And so this is big enough. You got to feed this. And so he would always just stay on me. And he said, look, if you have a job offer to stay in the sport, why not take the job offer? You get to be around. You get to help your former teammates. Your teammates now in a different way. You get to be in the battle with them from a business perspective. They need someone like you that understands it intimately and, and work on your brain. Go back and get your MBA, you know. And so he was trying to push me. But again, I credit him because he could have easily pushed me to do what he did. He was an engineer, like go to be an engineer or be a doctor. He could have easily like tried to really go completely against the grain. But what he did is he tried to nourish what I, what I was passionate about, what, mm -hmm. what I love, and added elements of thought. And, and really challenge my thought to think of it not just as a passion, but how do you create, turn it into a profession? How do you enrich your your not only your your you know your brawn per se, but your brain, right? And 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 how do you then add academic elements and professional elements to that passion to make it a dream become a reality? And so that started to plant the seed for me. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense, you know. And it was like. You know, when you're younger, unfortunately, and I and I think all of us will experience this with our own kids, like your ideas aren't cool anymore. <laughs> you can have all the answers in the world and have lived through wars, trauma. Wars, trauma, gotten the hell of back and 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 experienced the best success in heaven and all everything across the spectrum, but it doesn't matter. You're their parents. So part of their own development is almost like resisting that right negotiating their own way to some extent and it's an interesting it's a lot of psychology behind it and psychological studies and white paper now that even prove that like oh that means this oh they're saying this to you well that means that right and and i think i was doing that just for a long time and it was the first time i kind of had an epiphany i was like aha okay you're right and I didn't fight him. And I actually leaned into it. And I took the job offer. And, and I worked the first seven years as an NFL agent working in, in the game I was playing at the time. But then when I, and then and then I went back to business school. And it was at business schools where I kind of like, again, the entrepreneurial spirit and the fire was 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 not only lit, but it was, you know, it was completely burning. And, and, I was, and yeah. it was great. It was great. And so I remember that really brought a lot of joy to my dad, right? Because he saw me start my business. He saw me finish business school. And, you know, unfortunately, he passed away before seeing it blossom and, and grow the way it's grown. But I credit a lot in, to him and, and my, my wife, who both of them were just, you know, my biggest cheerleaders. And Trust me, I, you know, you're going to go through times you have no cheerleaders. You've got people wishing the, your downfall. And that's, that means you're doing something. That's mm -hmm. what I've learned. I'm, I'm going to be 43 this year and you're not going to please everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and again, I think um, 
having people around you, your community, your family that you could draw not only encouragement from, but more importantly, ideas, then they should challenge your own thought and ideas. So you, you, while you hold, you know, strong opinions, I would advise you to don't hold them too strong and, and be smart enough to listen and, 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 and have someone challenge your thought, right? Because you may find a better idea in that. Right. If you allow yourself to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that's what Amwali Ahmed did for you. And, and you graduated. Were you, upon graduation, were you like, I'm just doing this myself? Did you just know? <laughs> <off the> bat? <laughs> well, actually, you know, I, I wanted, I'm, you know, I, I have a lot of loyalty in me. Right. And it's just the way I was raised. And it was like, I come from a team sport. So I actually proposed my old bosses something basically tuition reimbursement to send me to business school and they'd pay for it, but it was a full tax write-off and, and some other business ideas of how I thought they should, what they should consider us doing as a company and succession plan for them. And, and they said, why do you want to do that? It's cumbersome debt. And I'm like, what? And, and they're oh, you didn't need that. You don't need that. And so it's like, it was never like, it's not like I just left them without engaging. And I actually tried several mm-hmm. times to no, to no, to no avail, really. Like, and so they are very close-minded, and that is what triggered me to then go to business school on my own and launch the business in business mm. school. So I actually did it while I was in business school. And so while you're doing this in business school, is the first step to like for my business, our first step was closing a customer. Was your first step to go find talent? I think it's you know I, I had two clients that came with me. So it was like that Jerry Maguire, you know, uh, episode where he leaves, but I think at the time he only had the fishbowl. I actually had at least two young clients that wanted to come to me. And they were like, just figure this out. Like, get us deals. Was that pretty much your job? It's a relationship business. I will tell you that no matter what. Right. And I've, I've dealt with and dealing with and will deal with attrition at times. And you hope to figure out a way to make it win-win for everybody, which I think my boss had a chance to, and I've always tried to figure out. And sometimes you don't get it right and you make a mistake for that that you can't fix it. But those two clients were like, hey, your relationship is with you, you know? So we're gonna come and, and that's what happened. And so when I started the business, it was really just with two clients, but it was more NFL agent agency work, right? Um, it, it, I had not developed the thesis yet in terms of what it is today. And that happened during my, the, the, the first, the early parts of, of the company's existence, really. And how did that go? So you, you have these NFL players, you're effectively probably reaching out to maybe your old contacts at brands or contacts, and you're trying to create a sustainable income for them. How did you decide your thesis and how did you like determine if you were like successful? What was your success metric? Um, you know, well, first of all, you obviously, to your point, you develop the business plan, you get the clients and then, and then, you know, you're creating budgets and forecasts, but you know, when you're a bootstrap startup, it's like you're maxing out credit cards <laughs> instead of fundraising for, and, and going out for a seed round or a pre-seed round or series A or whatever it may be, but no, you're bootstrapping. And so the, the idea and the metric of success is a can you sign clients, but B revenue and C, can you retain them? And so yeah. if, if, if that continued to, you know, let's call it decline, or I was just completely just, you know, digging myself in a hole that I wasn't going to be able to get out of, there would have been a, a point of it where I would have pushed eject. But I would tell you, even as a bootstrap startup, like for years, I didn't pay myself. And right, as I right. realized I needed more capacity and 
right and, and, and more 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 uh uh more of a of a you know basically a higher burn if you will then it was like i was either reinvesting it into the company or or you know i was i was gonna have to cut down on my opex and just to take an income so there was years before i took anything and and um that was difficult but i was also learning how to be a not only an entrepreneur, but a CEO, like a head of a company. And I'm still learning to today. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the things I never had the benefit of interning anywhere or, or really working anywhere uh, with structure. And that gave me the development uh, on a personal level, which is something that I've tried to really focus on doing for our team. And, and, and again, we, we even at this stage, it's like we're finding there's so many inefficiencies and so many efficiencies we can gain if mm -hmm. we do things a different way or do something else or cut something or you know so it's it's an interesting point now it's like the one thing i've realized that i was talking to one of my business partners who's super successful entrepreneurs has had many exits and you know really doesn't have to play the game of business if he doesn't want to um but he does and he said you know what once you're ready to stop playing this game you take your ball home and your shoes and you go home you know, and he's like, but there would be other problems. And so long as you're playing this game, every level is almost going, you know, the view's different, the scoreboard's different, <laughs> but the challenges will morph into something else, both right. personally and professionally. And that was right. a fascinating, you know, comment from him. You know, he's, 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 ten, he's 10 years, my senior and ahead of me in terms of, of, of the exits. Right. But, but at the end of the day, we also had a, huge success together. So for me to hear that come from him, I was like, it just put a lot of things in perspective that so long as you want to play the game of business, you're going to experience the different challenges, like the video games that you play that you go to the next level. And it's like, it's still it's harder, different challenges, but there's, there's still challenges and you go to the next level and so on and so forth. I think life is very much the same way. Right? It's yeah, I, I would agree. And there's no made it. No, no, that's absolutely right. Every every level you get to has another like layer of issues, which you either see as challenges that you welcome, or they scare you and you stop doing what you do. You know, and you probably that that that's effectively what it comes down to, and um, the ability to relearn. So you have to learn the CEO thing, then continuously relearn it, relearn it, relearn it based on your peers, based on what you see, based on what your feedback. But then also the interesting thing at the top is you have to quickly diagnose issues within your organization, right? I was just talking to somebody I work with, really smart woman. She was talking about how any business issue comes down to one of three things. Either your product has an issue, your sales org has an issue, or your operations have an issue. And you kind of have to quickly uncover which of these things is it so I can quickly drill down, solve it, and keep this moving to the next level. And so as you're building this business, like how, how do you sign somebody like Connor? Like what, what was that like? You have to really believe in yourself and run for it. I want to hear that yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you have to believe in yourself <laughs> and he has to believe in you. It's a two-way street, right? And so – and look, I think it's very, very similar. And in, in your husband is in wealth management, and and so it's kind of very similar to that. In that you're pre you're you're presenting a value proposition to the client, and you better show how you differentiate from from the competitors. And ultimately, it comes down to: do they believe in, that what you're pitching, you could execute on that? And B, what is the comfort level as human beings? Do I want this person to lead me? In, right. in, in terms of my business. Right. And so um, that, that's important. And so pitching him, he, look, he was a young fighter, just signed the UFC, hadn't fought his first fight in the UFC. We had a, we had actually a, 
think it was a Skype, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> this is pre-Zoom? Pre-Zoom. <laughs> pre-Zoom. Which is, you know, the, but but for me, it was awesome because at that point in time, it was like every recruiting meeting, you're having to fly everywhere. And so it was the new era of like video conferencing. And so the first time I remember it was him and his coach, John Cavanaugh, and we did a, we did a Skype. And it was uh, – it was a pitch and it was, you know, you have your pitch material, you, 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 you present your value proposition and your differentiation strategy. And, and then it, there was follow-up calls and then follow-up emails. And then, you know, like, you know, we actually officially started working together after his first fight in the UFC. And, um, it was, it was, a, it was an amazing experience to, to go through, but looking back at our journey together the, the last decade, it's, been quite the ride you know we've been able to not only make history but he's a once in a generation type athlete and i'm very very lucky alhamdulillah to to be able to work with him and when you sign an athlete like that and grow with them i mean that's effectively anybody in any business that's what they optimize for right in vc 90 percent of your deals will fail 10 percent will make it i'm sure in wealth management if i were asked hadi probably, you know, let's say a certain percentage of his clients bring in most of the revenue for the business. And I'm assuming in sports, it's pretty similar to you're kind of looking for for that. So when, once you start to realize, okay, that this has momentum, did that, how did that help you build your business? Like, what are the steps you took from there? Because then also you have to like diversify, right? Like what if one day he's like, nah, I'm going somewhere else. You're like, oh, I don't want my business to be dead. So what, what steps did you take from there? And I'm curious to know how you like scaled your business. Yeah. So I look at one thing I would say is for us is, is, you know, I always, I'm committed to try to make my clients the best version of themselves, but they're still their own people. Right. And, and Connor could go anywhere. He's that type of uh, outlier where he could. The lucky thing is he also recognized that there was value in, in my brain and my ability. And we actually became business partners. So we actually really, really believed in each other. And he's such an entrepreneur is different than most athletes. And he saw my desire to really scale and build venture. And, and I think that those things aligned, which, which I think is very important, right? It's not always perfect. At the end of the day, behind closed doors, like any family and any close relationship, you're going to have your challenges. But the one thing I know is there's a loyalty factor on both sides that despite us being from different parts of the world, having different beliefs, and even at times disagreeing heavily on certain things, we always come to a happy medium and a base, even if we agree to disagree on certain things. And that's the most important thing. And so for me, having someone like him that trusts in the, the vision and me seeing that his vision aligns with my vision allowed me to then realize, right, we have an amazing opportunity before us. We've generated not only you know, great revenue, but here is not only my biggest client, but my business partner that now sees the, the, the value of diversifying, if you will. So right. that, that I think is important, but you have, to, you have to win in your core business first before you are able to start doing that. I remember I presented a business plan about you know, building business ventures that align with our athletes and ecosystem, and people laugh at me. It's too busy. It's too this. It's too mm -hmm. that. It's like sometimes, too, when you're hearing that, you, you, you better believe in yourself enough and you better execute. And it also doesn't hurt to get lucky sometimes. And I do feel luck is certainly, and I love this saying, is when opportunity means preparation. Mm -hmm. so it's a combination mm -hmm. of everything. But, um, you know, if you don't have that belief in one another, then you won't be able to go for it at the end of the day, you know? You know, anybody who starts a business, I tell them they absolutely have to read the book Five Dysfunctions of a Team. The reason being that there's nothing more important than psychological safety and the ability to disagree in a healthy way 
Because if you read Five Dysfunctions of a Team, they have this like pyramid, right? And at the base of the pyramid of being a functional team is the lack of trust. And that's usually a result of the lack of ability to have conflict in a healthy way, which means that you then don't commit, which means that then there's no accountability because you aren't in agreement, which means you then have no results, right? So being able to disagree and have you know, healthy conflict effectively. So you can come yeah. to an agreement that you can both commit to is at the base of any relationship. And like me and my co-founders, we can talk about anything. We could disagree about anything. And at the end of the day, nothing is personal. And we always leave the room with one goal. We either disagree and commit or we agree and commit, but we commit, right? And that's how you get to results. So I think that that's something like, um, particularly in women, and this reaches maybe a different audience than um, maybe more my audience than yours, but particularly for women who are trying to lead, the ability to learn how to navigate conflict and turn conflict into A, a necessity, B, a foundation of trust and see something that's healthy is so critical and such a skill that just is important to be developed in women who are typically taught to just like be nice effectively. That's, I think, I can't wait to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I think I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I am a seeker of knowledge and truth. I love that because it's so true. It's, you know, dysfunctions happen every day. Dysfunctional dynamics are always presented to you every single day. You got yeah, with work, with kids, with spouses, like you will disagree about something. Even someone that cuts you off on the freeway or in the supermarket <laughs> and how you handle that, <laughs> that is important, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I, I can't wait. That's, that sounds amazing. And so you are managing this incredible athlete and these other athletes, and you're continuing to sign your business. And you said something along the lines of like, once you get your core business down, then you can scale revenue. So at what point were you like, okay, hold on. I have these like household names. What can we do next? And how did that look? And by the way, are, are you a solo founder? You did this on your own, I'm pretty sure. Is that right? Paradigm Sports, yes. But I mean, look... It took it took a village, really. I mean, so of I course, can't, of course, everybody that, says that it, it took a lot of smart it is, people. It's true. I, know. I mean, look, I smart know, I know. people, not smart people, good people, <laughs> bad people, all of them contributed. Don't get me wrong. You know, that, that's how I look at it, right? <laughs> Much so, more honest way of putting it, but yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think it was probably 2016 when I really started to see the opportunity to, to you know, act on our desires to build. Um, you know, ventures really. In, what, in, when did you start Paradigm? Was it like 2010? 2009. Yeah, 2009. The end of 2009, beginning of 2010. So let's oh. say, yeah, so let's say six, seven years in, um, you realize, okay, hold on, we have something here. And by this point, I hope you're paying yourself if you're going to build another business. Yeah, home. yeah, fine. I finally <laughs> started taking a paycheck at that point in time. I think it was 2015 it started, and then it started getting better. So, I, yeah. I've missed paychecks too, believe me. Like, this is like, you know, a story yeah. oldest time. People people don't understand it, but when you're committed, you're, you're committed, right? In the early you're days, committed. I won't. Won't forget it. I made like two thousand dollars a month for a long period of time. Like, there's you know a lot that you do to kind of get something upright. Yeah, um, I always joke with my wife because she had you know she's she had a phenomenal career in hospitality, but I always joke you know, she was my sugar mama for 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 a long time. And the business is funder, you know what I mean? Because it was like her credit cards that we would max out. And, yeah, it was a, it was a grind. It was a grind. That's, that's what it takes. Yeah. I used to call Hottie the Rock, and I was a Rolling Stone. There you the go. Rock because he made tricky. I love that. That's that's a good one. Like I'm still one. the Rolling Stone. Like there's somebody who <laughs> raises our mortgage and somebody who manages, and I'm just like whatever. Let me do what I love. 
<laughs> Just, you know, opposites uh, attract, I guess uh, they say. That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's so true. You know, yeah. we complement each other. You know? Which truly should be, by the way, a lesson to those in the podcast. Like who you end up with is really pivotal to A, your ability to believe in yourself, but B, your ability to execute, right? Like if I'm worried about just being annoyed all the time, it's very hard to build a business. So that's a side lesson what the podcast about. And, 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 you know, they're look, they're your, they are, to your point, the rock, you know? And I think there's someone that calms you, encourages you, challenges you, you know? And, and that's important. It's, and, and, and Alhamdulillah, we both have that. So that's a, that's a, that's, that's, we're very, very, very fortunate. And I'm very lucky beyond, I, 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 you know, I certainly, I always, this is another football one, but I outkicked my coverage, you know? That's Uh, a good way. I like these football uh, sayings. I need to go look up a book of them. (laughs) There there was a Jackie Chan one I just heard today, which is not related to any of this, but I actually put it in a presentation I'm doing tomorrow. I think Jackie Chan said something like, I fear the man who does 10,000 kicks you know, day after day, not the person who does 10,000 kicks in a day, you know, like really perfects. Their day. I was like, oh, that's good. I like these sports kind of sports. Go ahead, Jackie. Yeah, I, like I know, I know. But I, I will say, I think that um, you being blessed with a good partner in me as well is um, probably also the root of why this conversation could happen or one of the roots and also having supportive family. And, you know, I, I love your mom. I love your dad, Alihama, and your sister. Incredible. You know, having this community <laughs> helps, but nevertheless, so you start building, you start building this brand by this point. I mean, you did a lot of this. You got married way. I was at your wedding. You got married way before 2016 and you were having kids during all this. So you were juggling all this while trying to feed little kids. I, I got married right after business school. And I, when I, first started the business. And I remember on my honeymoon, I was like working on the business plan, the model, the, so it was like, yeah, it was, and then, and then kids and everything else happened kind of all with it. So it was, it's been, it's been quite the journey. It's been, it's been an amazing journey. It really has. Yeah. But th- there's something to be said about raising kids in the thick of raising a business. Cause they're both like 200% intensity in different ways. Man. <laughs> you know? God bless you all. You know, that's it. Like, you know, I feel like we deserve almost like, you know, Letterman's jacket or giving out for varsity participation and achievements. Like if you're, if you do that as a parent and then that's why I look at single parents. I'm like, man, they're, they're superheroes, you know, yeah, like beyond. They're, they're superheroes. And no, so beyond. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult, but it's doable. It's doable. it's doable. That's 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 the moral of the story. It is doable. It is. That is not that all that wincing and whining was really just venting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but actually, you could do it. <laughs> you could do it. <laughs> and so, so you're building now. You're building a sports venture. At this point, you have agents. Um, when, when did you hire your first like staff member? You know, I went through a lot of experiences, bad experiences early on because it's like when you can't afford to pay people, sometimes it's whoever raises their hand, right? And then, but you learn the, 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 the right way and the wrong way of doing things. And it's not as easy as that because back then I'm like, yeah, you want, yeah, sure. And then sure, come like, on in. Oh, labor law issues. And then, oh, you don't have the right contract. Oh, you don't have this or they're claiming this or that. I mean, I've been through it all now. So it's like, I got my PhD as, <laughs> as an entrepreneur by making a lot of wrong mistakes. And even to this day, I'm, you know, when you think you figured out organizational behavior and culture and all these different things, it's like one wrong thing or blind trust or whatever it is, and you lose track and ultimately it's on you, right? And so the mistakes are, you know, they don't stop. And so it's like a living, breathing thing. And the fragility of a business is real. It's, it's, it's very equal to the fragility of life. So you must 
nurture it and grow it and 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 pay attention to it and reward it and discipline it and do all the things you do in mm-hmm. in the personal uh, uh, life in, in business and that's 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 the reality of it. So I I think the first person I actually technically hired was when I was in business school. And I remember I was doing fully employed program. So it was I went to Pepperdine for business school and they have a satellite office in Irvine at the Ernst and Young building. So it's like a high rise and they have their own floor and I would rent out the conference rooms and make, make pretend like it was my office. And so I rent out the conference rooms and ha- I had my first and first uh, staff member, I guess there. Um, and I would host meetings and they'd come and they'd, nice building Ernst and Young and they come on the floor and it's like pepper and ice. Like, oh, <laughs> just go with it. She was down the hall. Down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> just go with it. Don't worry about it. I just, I wouldn't say anything. I'm like, all right, if they ask, I'll tell the truth, but I, let's just. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, that's the truth of it. It's a lot of, a lot of, you know, fake it till you make it, frankly, and kind of just have the confidence to know that don't worry, the rest will come later. Cause I wouldn't be surprised now if you had a bougie office, I've seen her swag and it's bougie, but that, that's another story. <laughs> that's what I'm still, still waiting for my paradigm hat, but you know, that's not where, while I'm boxing, I, I can <laughs> I, I actually, actually now that the, for sure, well, make sure you text me when we're done with this done, but you'll get a swag bag with some. I got else. you. I'm, I'm waiting for that PR package. So, you know, podcast be might be my, uh, witness. but anyway, what I was going to say was, um, you say I'm an athlete. What do you, what do you do for me? Like at the crux of it, what is your job? So our job from a manager or agent perspective, it's kind of synonymous in sports. I know that term is different in entertainment, but in some sports it's considered a manager and some sports consider agent, but the, the role of a, of a full 360 agent and or manager is to help guide the career of an athlete. So they're making tactical decisions on how to progress and achieve their goals. And their goals are very different from athlete to athlete. One athlete may want to win a championship. Another athlete may want to just maximize their earnings. Some athletes are, those are both equally important. So they're not willing to sacrifice either. Another athlete wants to do that. Plus, you know, build business ventures or build their brand or, you know, want want to, you know, do all the above plus set themselves up for a future analyst job or a coaching job or even be a businessman or woman. So every athlete has a different desire, but the role of a, of a, of a 360 manager or agent is career management, negotiating their contracts with their respective, you know, team and or promotion, building brand equity through PR and holistic marketing efforts, including but not limited to social media, philanthropic work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, the ancillary support is obviously when they start making enough money, making sure that they understand and, and, and select the right stakeholders on their team, including but not limited to business managers, accountants, financial advisors, even outside counsel, because they're going to need legal advice for certain things that are not sport, sport related. Um, and, and then it's even helping them not only maximize that career while they're active, but then transition into their post-athletic identity, which has been something that that's very important to us. So that's a summary, but there's a lot in between, you know, that, that takes place as well. And it's, just, it's effectively maximizing their career as an athlete, not only from their earning potential in their respective sport, but it's like, how do we maximize this platform that they have to do all the things that they want to do? 
And it's interesting because athletes have typically, for many, a finite period of time that they can play. And then when they're done playing, they often have a breadth of opportunities that they can pursue. But they probably the earlier they maybe have a sense of what they want to pursue, the better, right? If they want to be a coach, like you said, there's probably a certain set of steps that would be required. They want to start a business, there's a certain set of steps that are required. For for you, I'm sure that you have got a phone book full of people. Like it's for somebody in your position or aspiring to be in a position, what are the most important people for you to know to build a successful business? I never went tactically about it like that. Um, I just always felt it's about, you know, making good relationships, you know, across the board, whatever role they may be in or whatever organization they may be with. Obviously, there has to be some, you know, common denominator that's that's kind of bringing us together to do business, right? Whatever that is. So whether it's the team or the league or the promotion and within those organizations are several different stakeholders. So it's not only the person you negotiate the contract with, but then potentially some of the, the marketing team, some of the PR team, right? Or even ownership at times. So those are different levels of relationships within the team league or organization. As it relates to marketing, it could be brands, right? So it could be whether it's C-suite, whether it's director level, whether it's even the person that's the account manager, if you will. So creating relationships on that front was important. Then from a PR perspective, you got not only beat writers and, you know, endemic writers and or reporters that you have to, you know, build a relationship with and naturally happens because as you grow your roster, they're naturally coming to you. Mm. So that's important too. And then there's, you know, sports is a meta market, right? There's so many other stakeholders that you could network with and, and, and build a relationship with that will benefit your clients and or your business. But if you go about it in a methodical way or overthink it, I feel like you actually are not going to be doing anything really. Right. And so, and, and it's disingenuous. And I think you just got to go about your business, looking at whatever your principle is. So if you're a staunch advocate of your clients, you're going to fight to get the results there. And you may not be popular with any of them. <laughs> like that's just the reality of it as well, but you're achieving your goals. Right. That's all that should matter. Right. And so you got to understand and define what your core values are, what your strategy is, what your goals are, and you better be in line with your clients because if you're not in line with them and your team, there's going to be issues and cracks and, and, and problems yeah. that you're going to just take away from your time. That's what it comes down to. And defining those goals, it's it's so interesting how so many of these things scale across what you're doing to what I'm doing. Like defining your goals at the end of the day usually just means a handful of sequenced tactical steps that are very achievable, right? You just have to kind yeah. of know, what, what do you plan to do? And if I were to ask one of your athletes, what are the three things that makes Adi really good at his job? What would they tell me? Tenacious, innovative, and thoughtful. I try to care. I care about what I do, right? And so thank you. those are the three things that I think they'd say. And where, where do you At see At least if my client was named Adi Attar, that's what Adi Attar was called <laughs> about Adi Attar. Yeah, football player. <laughs> and and wh where do you see this? Like, do you see yourself building more arms of the business or really focusing on what you have now? What, what's your legacy going to be? Listen, I, I hope my legacy is that is one of, uh, you know, a, a disruptor setting new precedent in the sports and the, and the fields that he operated in. He cared about his clients, he cared about his team, and he – uh, was was relentless about winning, and that's that's what it comes down to. Um, I think where we're going now is is we're actually I'm really excited because we're heading into some 
somewhat new territory, but we're really kind of amplifying what we're doing, what we've done great to this point. And we're also looking at a lot of issues that we're solving for, right? And so it's an interesting point in our company's existence. Again, in one day, you're dealing with the good, the bad, the ugly all at the same time. But alhamdulillah, that's, that's kind of what, I, what I've been playing for. And now, you know, heading into year 13 of Paradigm, um, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about all the challenges, the opportunities, and the growth that we're going to have, not only as a company, but as, as individuals and operators. I'm excited too. I think it'll be very cool to see. And for the last question before I ask where people can find you, if I'm a young athlete and one day I want to be represented and I think I probably have a shot at professional sport or college sport, how would you suggest that I engage? I think you got to know your sport. You got to know who the players are in your sport. And I think that you, if you, you know, it's going to depend on where you are in your career, right? If you, or, you know, an uh, uh, athlete with, with high stock, if you will, right, then you're, you're not going to have to reach out to anybody. They're going to be reaching, knocking on your door, right? But if you, I, what I would tell you to do is do your homework. Understand who the players are. Understand what their pros and cons are. Understand what they've done. And start to put together a list of your own questions. What's important to you? Because even if they represented some of the biggest names, who you are to those, to that let's call it example that you're looking to maybe completely different. And so understand what you're looking for, understand what's important to you as well as understanding the players. And that way, when you do have those meetings or if you reach out on your own, right, you, you're going to, you're going to have a more meaningful uh, interview experience, if you will. So that way you make an informed decision as well as trusting your instincts as to who you feel comfortable and confident in executing this plan. And I think that that way you'll be satisfied with your decision. You can, you know, I, I often too much, I think in this business, there's everybody that's going to be promising you the world and somebody else coming in with a bigger, better offer or promise or this and that. And it's just, it's just the nature of the business, right? And so you have to feel, Hey, is this person authentic? Do I align with them? Are our values the same? Do I think that they're going to represent me the way I want to be represented? And, and, and then any of the other questions that you have, and if they answer in a positive way, then I think you, you know what the answer is. Thank you so much for sharing the story and for your time. For those who want to follow your journey, follow the agency, where would they find you online? You can find us at Paradigm Sports across all social media or www.paradigmsports.com. And my handles are at Audiatar on all social media properties. Thank you so, so much, Audi. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Keep doing amazing work. I'm super proud of you.